0: Welcome to episode number four of It Takes Two to Tango, Conversations That Move Us. I'm Nat.
1: And I'm Martina.
0: And together, we are two life coaches on a mission to make the world a better dance floor.
1: In this series, we invite you into a metaphorical dance. It's a conversation about how to partner with life in a more meaningful way.
0: We're going to translate some of the concepts we have learned from Argentine tango and ballroom dancing off the dance floor, so that you can experience the kind of bliss that we experience in partner dancing, in your life and leadership.
1: So shall we dance?
0: I would be delighted, thank you.
1: So last week we talked about performance and performance anxiety. And we mentioned some of the basics of how that shows up in our experience. We talked about it on the dance floor, off the dance floor. And we decided to take that a little bit deeper because there is so much there. Right. We are performing in so many ways in life for each other. I mean, Nat and I are performing right now for each other and for you as you're listening. And so we decided that we wanted to take this topic a step further.
0: Yeah, so um, no worries if you haven't watched last week's episode yet. Uh, Like every dance, we are in the moment, and uh, each episode stands on its own.
1: So today we want to focus a little bit more on how performance anxiety actually shows up in your body and how it shows up unconsciously. And so I wanted to add a little bit of science to what we're talking about from the Alexander Technique. So a lot of what I'm gonna talk about today comes from this book, from Missy Vineyard, How You Stand, How You Move, How You Live. And I also wanna give credit to my teacher, Ed Bilanchon, who's taught me these things. So F.M. Alexander was born in 1869, I just looked that up, yep, in uh, Tasmania and uh, he uh, grew up as a sickly child. And um, what he really wanted to do is be an actor. And those are the times of the big acting and Shakespeare, you know, to be or not to be, you know, no microphones and so forth. And his dad had other ideas and told him to become an accountant first, but this drive and this longing never really left him. And um, so he, actually was very good at it. And he became what was known as an elocutionist. And he noticed that when he had a speaking engagement, at the end of it, he was hoarse, he lost his voice, and for several days he couldn't speak. So of course, at first he went to doctors and uh, asked, what can I do? And they said, well, just drink some tea, rest your voice, you know, and get better. And he said, well, you're kind of missing the point you know, there are so many actors who act and speak and they don't get hoarse. So what can I do to not actually get hoarse? And I looked at him, I don't know. You know, we just can tell you what to do to get better when you get the symptoms. And he decided that he was going to figure this out. And so he started speaking in front of a mirror. And he noticed that every time he started speaking, his head would come forward. You know, kind of like this. He would tense up and then speak and he said well maybe that has something to do with that maybe can i just stop doing that and he noticed that when he was standing in front of the mirror for weeks and months the moment he would just think about speaking his body was preparing automatically his head would come forward and he wasn't even speaking yet and his body was already ready engaging his habit And I think the same thing happens to us when we are ready to perform whatever it is, right? Whether it's, uh, you can even see it as I'm expressing a thought, I come forward towards the camera, right? My body gets ready, I want to make a point, I'm bringing an impulse, I'm lifting off the chair, (laughs) even though there is really no need to do that. And so Alexander didn't just discover a way to then change that habit but any habit in the body or any kind of belief that is unconscious and the main thing that he taught that is is let's find a way that we can inhibit the habit from happening so that a new thing can emerge and you can actually not do that by thinking or doing and one reason i've come to believe as i've also been studying um neuroplasticity with Rick Hansen recently is that most of us when we think of our head we think of our face and we think of our forehead right because this is where our prefrontal cortex is located where we do most of our conscious thinking and we forget about all this here behind us that there is you know a lot more brain matter 95% of it that is nonverbal that is not using words to think it's using images feelings sensations and some things we're not even aware of that happen in our body like uh, right now you and I are breathing without having to think about it we don't have to think about our hearts beating or digesting some food and my feet right now are thinking about tango and immediately you know I'm raising my feet up onto my the balls of my feet as if I'm wearing heels even though I'm not So all these unconscious things are going on at the same time and there are ways that we can talk to the unconscious when it wants to habitually help in an unhelpful way. And I think this is a good place to stop and just see what comes to your mind, Nat.
0: It's interesting uh, how our body responds right away from the thought, like you said, thinking of tango and your, your feet, your heels raise uh, t- onto the b- balls of your feet. Um, and I know that for me, um, for, for me, th- there is an influence, whether it is tango or life, um, or light, tango in life, is um perfectionism and you know i've come to realize that perfectionism to some extent is a safety mechanism and so when i am it's not so much in dance anymore but but it it does show up um where um my body will get tense if I, if, you know, like, let's say I'm preparing for a performance and uh, I need to practice it over and over again. And, but it's an interesting thing. It's not, this is a new awareness for me where so much of what we do is to try to alleviate the feeling, right? Like we can, we can work really hard in a dance and be really good in that dance. But a lot of times what drives us in a, in a dance is, let me do this well so that I don't look stupid, right? So that someone doesn't think poorly of me. And we talked a little bit about this in the last episode. Um, but it, it is those thoughts that cause the anxiety, the tension. I feel it a lot in, in my solar plexus. Um, like the, my stomach just kind of contracts and the, the knot, right? It, the knot in, in your stomach. And it just feels so unbearable that um, I, I just find it really fascinating. And I'm glad that we're bringing this up because most of us haven't been taught uh, effective ways of responding to these subconscious um, reactions.
1: Yeah, very true. I think most of us have been thought to, taught to make sense of these things by thinking about it, which doesn't work, right? Because thinking about something, now I know about it, but it address doesn't address the matters of the heart or the body. And so we end up chasing sensations, right? And so what happens is, and you can actually see that on the dance floor very clearly, is people all of a sudden, the, the gaze goes inward, the head goes down, and you know they are thinking about their feet. And the moment the head goes forward, many of us know that now that we're texting and using cell phones, a lot of the weight in the center of gravity shifts forward, and we're actually off our axis, off of our balance in that moment. So, Even just the thought about, you know, what am I feeling? And I noticed that when you were describing the knot in in your stomach, my own chasing off sensations went in there. And I felt a little bit of a sinking, which, you know, when we're thinking about where we are with tango, we're always up and forward a little bit towards our partner to find our balance, right? And there is this place where it's all of a sudden blissful and the hips and the shoulders and the neck everything becomes available to the next impulse and the moment we go inward we lose that right Mm -hmm. and we lose it again so there is this uh, whiplash kind of thing right very similar to what alexander describes right
0: (laughs) yeah there's definitely a disconnection you know in our society we put so much weight on Knowledge and intelligence, and you know, rational thinking that um, so many people are disconnected from their bodies. And so, like, in, in, in our dance school, we see a lot of students that maybe when they first come in, and sometimes even later, if you know, their whole life they've depended on uh, their, their brain, their, their mind for making things work that they're trying to dance and they're trying to count out the beads and they're um and there's always delay like when you're when you're counting and when you're actually moving there's delay and so there's there's a delay in, in dancing on time um and and i'm guilty for for this as well when i started ballroom years ago and i had to learn the mambo and you break on the two and um you know, I, it took me like three years <laughs> to get that right. I'm like, you know, I would listen to a, a metronome and like practice trying to break on the two and, and it was definitely challenging, but, and then sometime something switched for me and I could, f- and it was probably when I, be- I felt relaxed enough to come into my body and that I could feel it like, Oh, here's a two here's. And then, and, Um, this relates to lessons now with tango where my teacher often points out it's like okay here's here let's say do this and and I'll do it but he'll say did you notice how your body knew when to go but then your mind kicked in and stopped it Mm -hmm. right and I'm I'm like "Mm, well yeah okay
1: (laughs) And you know, with leaders that I know, well, I can actually feel that I mm-hmm. can feel the moment they leave their body and are back in their head, something changes in the transmission that affects everything. I mm-hmm. have learned about myself as, you know, this whole chasing of parts. I've done that all my life in, in so many different ways in the body. You know, I'm thinking about my feet or my knees or what my hips need to do, or, you know, how I'm feeling in general. And it's taken me a couple years now to understand what that means to bring my awareness of all of me into the dance. And it's one of those concepts that I thought I knew, but looking back, I realize I knew about it. And then there is this moment that the moment that you described, you know, where the Mambo all of a sudden clicked in and your body understood it. That's where you go from knowing about it to knowing it. Mm -hmm. I think, And then, then when we have that moment and we know what that feels like, but then we chase that and it was in the past. So we're chasing a feeling from the past and try to duplicate that in the moment. And once again, we're there thinking about it and we're out of the moment. Yeah. And it's that, that also contributes to this feeling of I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm Mm -hmm. not ready. I'm not perfect. Oh my God. They're all gonna see it and feel it and notice. And then they're not gonna love me anymore,
0: <laughs> right? And, and uh, just a transition. That's a perfect segue because uh, before today's uh, episode, uh, I, I just had a really full week, and Martina and I usually create notes for the session, and I just didn't take the take a look at the notes beforehand. I didn't get a notice. Normally, we get a notice when we update it. And, um, so I just looked at it today, and I had a moment of, "Oh, there's no time. I'm not prepared. We should reschedule." <laughs> and but this feeling of not being ready has been coming up frequently for me recently, and uh, it's it's like the the current theme for me to work through. Mm. And uh, in the past, I would have that same habit where I would feel I'm not ready, which if you look at it, ready according to whom, right? Who's deciding that you're not ready. It's just a memory and a conditioning of saying that you need to have everything set in stone and outlined and clear before you show up. But I found that that is also somewhat of a prison, where your where I'm trying to make everything perfect, and then I'm afraid that it's not going to be perfect enough, and I'll screw up, and then that creates tension, right? So, um, so I decided, let's see, let's see what happens because I know that when i'm in the moment and i'm not thinking about screwing up i do fine right it's only when i'm trying to meet an expectation of someone else of which i'm not even clear what that expectation is that i feel nervous anxious like i'm not going to do well
1: yeah Yeah, well said. I'm very familiar to that. And it's interesting that this idea of of being ready, you know, every teacher that I've worked with always has told me, well, you're never going to feel ready. Whether it's about dancing or my voice teacher just said that, you know, a week ago, well, you're never going to feel ready. I've been singing all my life and every time I go on stage, I never feel ready. I always wish I had one more practice. In coaches training, you know, we practice workshops. We practice speaking engagements and going on stage. And nobody's ever felt ready. And one of my teachers has been teaching for 40 years. And she says, you know, even though I'm steeped in this knowledge, I am—I myself am only one thought away from feeling like a victim again. You know, there's always one thought away from not feeling ready and withdrawing and postponing yet again. And life is happening anyhow. So we might as well, you know, design something beautiful in the moment.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So why are we talking so much about performance anxiety, right? Like, why, why is it important to become more aware of how that shows up in your body?
1: Well, I think one thing you know what I teach a lot of my clients is how to set a new vision and usually, you know even when you set a new vision, the first thing is now I have to perform I have to get to this vision, I have to set goals i have to i have to I have to become a better person, and the first thing that happens the moment somebody up levels their vision is fear and doubt kick in immediately. Like, I have no idea how to do this. This is so far outside of everything I've known myself to be. And so I've come to believe that fear and doubt are basically our border guards of the status quo. And we can fight them. We can resist them. And we have the saying in, in our teachings, you know, when what you resist persi- persists. Right? <laughs> attention flows your energy goes so the more I think about fighting against my fears and my doubts the more they actually fight back and say yeah but but you know I have a point here the status quo is better don't go there you know and uh, so I've learned that it's more about engaging engaging them because they have a lot of good information and then there is this point where I say okay I get your point now, buckle up in the back seat, and you don't get to touch the dial on the radio. You don't get to drive the car. You know, we're going to go on this trip, and you get to scream in the back seat as long as you want. And I'm going to go for it. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it imperfectly, but I'm, by God, I'm going to do it.
0: <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. Um, talk about border guards. Um, kind of like the boundaries in which we we live right kind of like um, when I think about the like the flea in the box and uh, the flea keeps on jumping and like hits hits the top of the box and you do that enough times and you think that's the limit through which you can go Um, and it's painful so then but then eventually you can remove the box, but the flea will still just jump up until there because it thinks that the, the, the border is still there and it, when it hits it, it's going to be painful, right? Mm-hmm. And I think this is a, a great metaphor for why we feel performance anxiety because at some point we were told that this is your limit. This is the confines through which you need to behave to be a good girl, a good boy, whatever, you know, to feel safe. And we feel we, we have that memory in our body, like the, the, what you shared earlier, Martina. Um, but it's not the real limit for us, right? It's just a perceived limit based on memory. And so when we experience that contraction, the nervousness, the, Um, body, forward, whatever, however it shows up. It's an opportunity to look at that and see what, like you're saying, what is this telling me? Right. It, our conditioning has told us this is to be avoided or um, this is to be overcome by doing a lot perfection uh whatever and but that doesn't address the discomfort yeah right so when discomfort comes up we get to look at it and we all have different ways like i know you have why don't you talk about that a little bit martino How, how when discomfort comes up what do you do with it
1: great question so there's a couple couple different things you know the first thing is to notice what you notice and to notice that you can notice you know that there is part of you that can actually observe what's going on I find that very powerful because then I get to remind myself that it's usually not all of me that feels uncomfortable it's part of me so now I get to have this experience of discomfort rather than the experience of discomfort having me, <laughs> And you know, the way that shows up for me, I remember one particular performance when I didn't know that my body did things on its own. And I literally, I thought I had this, I felt very comfortable. I knew my partner, I knew the choreography. We had just rehearsed it again and we stepped on the dance floor and I felt my hands were shaking. They literally were shaking. I thought everybody could see. And the more I thought about, oh my God, my hands are shaking, the less they wanted to stop, right? And back then I did not have that skill yet that I can notice this and I can notice that I can notice myself noticing the shaking Mm -hmm. and that I can have the shaking and dance anyhow. And when I discovered this ability, I noticed that there is a different, le- there's a different level and a different gear that comes in where you actually get to own whatever the discomfort is and you get to have it rather than it having you. So that's one of my, my favorite tools that applies to pretty much anything and to both, right? Good and bad experiences because it's just as important to notice when we're feeling good and to allow that to seep in just a little bit more. You know, like, I'm really enjoying our time together and our conversation, and to allow myself to actually feel that and embrace that and acknowledge that and take that in for a little bit more so that it might feed me even long after our conversation. And you're probably noticing as I'm taking in that good for myself, I become more radiant and more alive and, more connected with you in that moment. So anyhow. Yeah,
0: I I really love that, Martina, that um, awareness of even though you're trembling, shaking, you can still dance and you can still enjoy yourself, right? Mm -hmm. That, That we don't need to get rid of the nervousness to actually uh, be present and, and enjoy, enjoy what we're doing. I think that's that's part of the, the challenge for a lot of people is um, they're told that they shouldn't be feeling this way. Like I shouldn't be feeling nervous or I shouldn't be feeling afraid that that's a bad thing, but it's really a very natural thing. And um, and, and I have a similar practice where I become aware of what I'm feeling and then I expand out. Um, so normally when we're feeling something that we don't like, we tend to contract and that actually, uh, makes the feeling worse. And so what I do is I'm aware of it. Like you were aware of the trembling. Um, and then I expand my awareness out. Like I become the space of the room, for instance, and Uh, I've been doing this a lot lately and it's been pretty amazing. Like I shared with you earlier that I've been feeling a little bit of um, asthma symptoms just kind of out of the blue and tightness in my chest. And when I'm noticing that um, if, if I judge it and say like this is bad and I don't like it, then I feel worse. But if I sit with it and, and expand my energy out, it somehow alleviates the, the tension. I'm not trying to make it go away, but I'm just expanding my awareness out and, and doing that somehow just uh, changes my experience of it.
1: Mm, I like that. So you literally grow larger than the issue. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that. I think my Alexander teacher calls this becoming more inclusive in our awareness by, you know, noticing all of me, noticing my head and where it's balanced on the top of the spine and noticing how my head is connected all the way through to the feet, trusting that my brain knows what to do with everything in between and that then I can become aware of the space in front of me and behind me and include the chair that I'm sitting on in my experience and my computer and then even include you in my awareness And when I'm dancing with you, you know, include you and your body and your embrace and your signal into my awareness. And even on Zoom, I can do that and become more open to listening to what it is you have to say that I might need to hear today and listening to my own voice of what I might have to say that I might have to hear or I might need to share today.
0: Nice. Um, I would say one other thing that I do that I just, just escaped my mind. Uh, (laughs) Oh, um, is to practice doing the uncomfortable in a safe space. Mm Uh, so like for me, uh, I, I wear glasses. I don't wear contacts and my tango teacher, uh, encourages me to dance without my glasses on and practice without glasses on. And part of it is um, mechanics because the glasses and the, you know, the the face of my partner is going to be close. And so it creates a misalignment. Um, but it's interesting without my glasses, I dance differently. Um, with my glasses, I'm trying to be more precise, more exact. And without them, I... I'm more relaxed more um, in in the moment, but the interesting thing I notice is that it has changed my um, comfortability where uh, I used to be so afraid of running into other people on the floor or running into the wall, and now I'll, my comfort level has expanded out. But it's kind of the same metaphor of the the flea in the box is I I feel more relaxed to be in a different space. And I've noticed that my response in um, being a passenger in the car, uh, I don't get as carsick anymore because it's the most fascinating thing uh, because now I have more comfort in my body and I don't need the, the, um, the lack, the sense, the sense of lack of control for me is a big trigger in like heart, you know, motion sickness, or even in, in a space, when I create that comfort in my body, it doesn't matter as much anymore.
1: Mm. I see a whole episode coming up about, <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, physical vision, as well as the transcendental vision, mm. the leadership vision that uh, I can come up in my head. So I, I love that. And I love the, the comfort in the body, you know, even when the world is a little blurry around you, that you actually know where you are in space in relationship to the floor, to your dance partner and the other people. That's beautiful.
0: Yeah. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Well, let's see did we cover everything so um as i look back on what we talked about is so today's episode was mainly about how performance anxiety shows up in the body we talked a little bit about some science behind it and experience from mr fm alexander and how he teaches it we talked about um how it shows up for us personally and how it can limit us from feeling ready and actually wanting to postpone not only a Zoom meeting, but life indefinitely. And how when we trust ourselves and where we are and actually engage the discomfort rather than skipping over it or fighting it, that we can come back into the moment, uh, Nat proposed to expand that awareness to grow literally larger than the discomfort after you notice what you notice. And I suggested that uh, you get to have the discomfort rather than the discomfort having you, and then you can still dance on and off the dance floor. Did I miss yeah.
0: anything? That's, that's a good recap, Martina. You did well.
1: Okay, good.
0: <laughs> so, uh, we'd love to hear what ahas, what insights you're taking away from listening to today's episode. Um, And who knows, uh, your discussion, your comments, your questions may just become the topic of a future episode.
1: Yeah, I really like that. So, you know, a couple of the points I think that are in the air is vision, it's uh, the senses and sensuality. So what else, tangeras and tangeras and uh, fellow dancers and partners, is on your minds? So anyhow, thank you for sharing this dance, Nat. Thank you for sharing this dance with me and everybody who's listening and watching. Thank you for sharing this dance with us. And remember, it takes two to tango and to create conversations that move us. Until next time, this is Martina.
0: And I'm Nat. And we're two life coaches on a mission to make the world a better dance floor.